This Janet Meffer Today archive broadcast is brought to you by the National Day of Prayer. The National Day of Prayer is Thursday, May 6th. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. According to ancient Greek mythology, the Trojan War hero Achilles was extraordinarily brave and strong, but he had one fatal weakness. That was because his mother had dunked him as a baby in the river Styx, which was thought to have the power to confer immortality. The problem was his mother had grabbed him tightly by the heel in order to do this so that the water missed that spot. And as a result, he forever after had what was known as Achilles heel. And according to legend, Achilles, for all of his successes in battle later met his unfortunate end when his enemy shot an arrow into that one spot of vulnerability at his heel and killed him. Of course, today we still use this phrase Achilles heel to describe a fatal weakness. And in the view of my next guest, the American church also has an Achilles heel, a lack of prayer and powerful preaching, and both are vitally important to spiritual health. How do we best address the fatal weakness of the modern church? And is there any hope for a spiritual awakening among God's people today. That's what we're going to tackle today with Shane Eidelman, founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in California. And great to welcome you back, Shane. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It is good to be back, and we so appreciate what you're standing for. And this is this is a crucial topic right now. I think we can all agree. For sure. You have written this piece over at your blog at shaneidelman.com on powerless sermons and prayerless churches. Why would you say that those things are the Achilles heel of the American church? Well, I mean, and that analogy you gave at the beginning was perfect because there's a weak spot, there's a weak area that can take us down, and we need powerful preaching from men on fire for God, calling the church back to Him, and then we need prayer. Churches that are praying, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Look at these dire times that we are living in. There is no other hope right now unless God brings a spiritual awakening through his people. Yeah. And that's actually how it occurs. I love, I mean, the last program you did a while back with revivals in Scotland and Wells, and, and I read a lot about revivals. My heart is for revival, but they're always sparked through people praying and pulling down heaven, as well as powerful sermons, calling people back to God on sin and repentance and judgment, not with the mean-spirited approach, but with a broken heart on, look at what we're leaving for our children, our grandchildren. That's why I'm glad you're tackling this topic, because that's how you uh, awake the nation, is you talk about it. You fuel those desires. You remind people that we are not going in a good direction, and we need powerful sermons, not powerless servants. It's a kind of a play on words there. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I hope so. I think, you know, as I have been around the country at many different churches, I think your description of some of what we get in the pulpit today is spot on because there's a lot of joking. There's a lot of entertainment or props or, you know, self-help tips and maybe a verse or two of scripture. But I would, I would have to say just from my perspective, and I want to get yours too on this, If I were to walk into a lot of evangelical churches today and I didn't know anything about Christianity, my first impression would be, boy, these people don't think much of the Bible. Uh, Do you think that there's any truth to that? When we're talking about powerless sermons, don't they have to be rooted in the Word of God? The Word of God has to be elevated to the highest place. 
Oh, you that you nailed the you nailed it on the head, and I can usually just listening, like you said, the jokes, and I mean, there's nothing wrong if if you have to bring some humor, but yeah. the weight of the pulpit. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd Jones talked about this in his famous book, Preachers and Preaching. And Love that. I can listen five minutes, ten minutes into a sermon. I can tell you how much that time that pastor spent truly seeking the heart of God. Where are the mm-hmm. Leonard Ravenhills, or like you yep. play sometimes Paul Washer clips, mm-hmm. or Carter Collin in Times Square, and. Uh, A.W. Tozer, and you, you, these men were men who spent time with God, and that's what's going to change. That The power doesn't come from, okay, I'm going to get up there and be loud and boisterous, and the power comes from the anointing of the Holy Spirit doing what? Quickening the Word of God. Right. So when you remove the Word of God from the preaching, and it's all about you know, encouragement and fluff, and we need encouragement, don't get me wrong, yeah. but if it's just jokes and, and stories and come on team, let's go, you're, you're, not, you're not getting the quickening of the spirit, that unction, that fire, that boldness, that, that's what changes the life, the, the heart really, in a, right. in a person, right. is the, the truth of God's word. Actually, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in that book summed it up, preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. And that's what's going to change the nation. Yeah, I love that book, by the way. Lloyd-Jones is probably my all-time favorite, and Ravenhill and Tozer and those guys, fantastic. Those are some of my favorites. It's interesting, Shane, because this comes at a time when this this new research out from Pew Research on teenagers, and the largest portion of teenagers in the U.S. believe that more than one religion may be true. And what's really shocking, uh, the biggest group that said, no, it's one religion, that 66% were evangelical teenagers, uh, but you think about this, well, that means that you have, you know, 34% of evangelical teenagers believing that simultaneously multiple religions can be true at the same time. And we're calling them evangelical. And I'm thinking about this, Shane. I'm thinking a lot of these kids go to fun churches where there's a lot of activity. There's a lot going on and there are good people there. Are they really hearing the gospel? Are they really being fed the word of God? No, and that's the problem. We have, of course, in California here, many mega churches. I know some of the pastors, and and uh, there's nothing wrong with a big church if God's building the ministry. We have a, a large church, just not a mega church, per se. And so it's not in the numbers, but you will find that people gravitate towards where their ears are tickled. Yeah. Uh, they're not being challenged. The youth group has pizza and skate parks, and that might be f- fine as long as the Word of God is being proclaimed. And it's being. Uh, and I think a lot of the, these young adults and the teens... The reason they're doing that is because there's no power in the preaching. Mm. It's the pastors now, I don't know if you've been following, a while back they started changing that word from, uh, let's not preach, let's have a conversation. Yeah, or I let's, hate that. Let's, let's not talk about, yeah, let's, well, can we just sit down and talk? No, you're called to preach. Dialogue, <laughs> Shane, dialogue. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah, I know, but that's not the role of a pastor in the pulpit. Yep. And, you know, conversations, and well, I don't know, that's a good point, that's a good point of view. In the Bible, it's interesting they come across Jesus and saying, no man ever spoke like this man. So, man, so I, if you have the, the youth pastor or the pastor in the pulpit who's filled with the fire of God and loves the people, and there's something different, there's something di- distinct. And so that's why I think we're not giving you, the youth can see fakeness, falsehood, I mean, just as quick as anyone else. And I yeah. think they're just not drawn towards the power of, of God's word because of that. 
Well, you're right. How in the world do you do you deliver a powerful sermon, though? Because for many laymen, they would say, I know a great sermon when I hear one because it's Bible rich and I'm convicted of my sin or I'm learning more. I'm maturing in the faith under this preaching. But that takes something of a spiritual maturity in the pastor. And I'm wondering where things can go and turn around in the pulpit, what would be necessary, Shane, in your view, for us to hear powerful preachers once more? Well, a couple things come to mind. Number one, and I hate to keep mentioning the book, but, you know, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones' books on preachers and preaching, or his book on that, talked about that the very conservative, he even went after Reformed, because he was part of that, that yep. denomination, and and so you have this intellectual knowledge, let me impress people with my sermon and my PhD and my, you know, and, and so you're not, you're going to lack the power of God because it's about your intellect and about your knowledge and about how smart you are. And yeah. I don't remember if his name was William Steele. There was one of the famous pastors who actually threw all of his sermons, years worth of sermons into the fire. Wow. And that's when he received the fire of God oh, wow. because he was, he was no longer you know, worried about three points in a poem and this exegetical, you know, and, and doctrine's important. Don't, don't misunderstand. We need sure. theology. We need strong sermons. But it's the heart of the pastor. So if we can get that conservative pastor to break and humble himself under the power of God and let that anointing flow through, then that would be one thing. And then you have the carnal pastor or the really doesn't have a lot of depth in theology, really just doesn't read through the Bible. That person has to spend a lot of time as well in the prayer closet right. and meeting God and letting that word transform his heart. Because before you prepare a message, God actually prepares the messenger. So what we're seeing, I hate to say it, but what we're seeing is cowardly pastors who are not filled with the Spirit of God. Mm. And they're just, they're cheerleaders, they're uh, spokespeople, they're motivators. And that's, you know, I don't, I don't usually name names, but you see some of these big names out there. Um, I wouldn't say the Andy Stanleys or the Steve Furnicks are filled with the fire of God and the boldness of God and the Joel Osteens. Nope. They're not calling people to repentance. Nope. And, and, and that's why you're not seeing the masses being converted or revival coming is because we're, we're not giving them the, it's our opinion. It's yes. Our, our, you know, sorry, I hear the music coming yeah, up. Yeah, hang on, Shane. We'll, we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. Thank you so much. We're going to come back on Janet Mefford today with Pastor Shane Eidelman. Stay with us. We'll be back. The National Day of Prayer is Thursday, May 6th. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. It's an incredible opportunity to experience the power of prayer as one nation under God. Be a part of this historic day, along with fellow Christians who are ready to make a difference by lifting up our nation in prayer. Free prayer resources are waiting for you right now. Join an online prayer room or create a private prayer room and invite family, friends, and neighbors to join you for the National Day of Prayer. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. There's absolutely no cost to participate. This is your call to prayer, and now's the time to answer the call. Our country needs your prayers more than ever. So join the largest online prayer gathering in history at the National Day of Prayer. We'll see you online at pray.team. That's pray.team. 
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It's great to have you with us. I often return to this very important topic of the state of the church and the state of the pulpit in particular, because in my lifetime, I have watched a steady downgrade and it grieves me to the core as a Christian. And I know my guest, Pastor Shane Eidelman from Westside Christian Fellowship in California, agrees with me. He's written some really great stuff. He's got one piece we're discussing, America's Achilles Heel, Powerless Sermons and Prayerless Churches. Before we went to the break, Shane, you were making a very important point that when we see a lack of power from the pulpit, in other words, the thundering of the word of God, I laugh sometimes as an aside, I laugh sometimes when people will laugh about a caricature of the fire and brimstone preacher. Oh, those fire and brimstone preachers. I'm like, I've never heard one. I mean, like, you know, I try to find a fire and brimstone preacher these days. It's, it's almost impossible to find somebody who will really preach about hell. But you say there is a problem of cowardice here. And that is an Achilles heel is cowardice. Yeah, well, you know, I should clarify too. not God gives us different callings. Sure. Different, you know, that you're not going to have um, everyone be John the Baptist or Leonard Ravenhill <laughs> or, or anything. You've got to you got to find what God's called you to do and do it well. But cowardliness, isn't this interesting? Um, the, probably one of the biggest, I guess, negative emails we get or different things is, is because of the boldness. You know, that, you know, Shane, you're unloving or you're too hard or, you know, not, not understanding or not knowing who I am, just hearing the sermons. But I try to tell people, the more time I spend with God, the bolder I become. Right. You see, that's the problem. Right, right. The more, you know, it, it, I've had a, it's 20 years now getting up by 3.34 in the morning, the first three hours are prayer and worship and God's Word. And I don't say it to, 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 for people to pat me on the back. I say that because I need that. Good. I, if, I, I will fall astray. I will be just like any other pastor who's not bold if I don't spend that time, that intimacy with God, asking for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so that cowardliness is a direct result of not spending time with God. So look at, look at all these pastors now. Let's support BLM Incorporated. Let's yeah. be woke. Let's yeah. be the cancel culture. Let's look like this world. Let's not upset people. And that's, you're, you're not spending time in God's Word because the fire of Isaiah will come out, the of Jeremiah, yeah. of Ezekiel, right. Hosea, and Joel, and Amos, and John the Baptist. And look at Jesus calling people to repentance. And, you know, so you just, these, we're just not spending enough time in God's Word, broken and humble and saying, Lord, what do you want to say through me? And then that's that's how you have that that tongue of fire. Yes, is because you're yes. you're you're so you're so it's hard to explain. You're so welled up with the spirit of God. Yeah. you know you don't know what to call it. What they call it unction yeah. or the fire of the spirit or 
the anointing or the empowerment, the endowment. It's interesting because I'm sure you know, maybe not the listeners know, but the, the Holy Spirit, there's three prepositions, para, to come alongside, and in us, E-N, but then epi. It's interesting where the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. And that's where you see that that's that endowment of power, is when the Holy Spirit actually comes upon a person. Well, and this is important. I, you mentioned Jeremiah, and right away I thought of Jeremiah 20, verse 9. If I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. And if you read the book of Jeremiah, you can see that Jeremiah could not hold it in. That's what we need. But along with this, something you write about as well, Shane, is the prayerlessness. And, and again, we're back to the whole subject of where, whatever happened at the prayer meeting. What do you think? Well, and I just shared this with my wife this morning. You look, I mean, who in their right mind can't look around and say, uh, the sky is falling? Yeah. From transgender to uh, sex surgeries to illicit sex to perversion to mocking God's word to brutality in the streets to race. It, what else is it going to take, church, to get you on your face before God? To Amen. turn off Netflix for a month? To pastors call a prayer meeting? I don't care if 20 people are there, 10 people, or 2 people. God isn't, God plus you is the majority. You show up if it's just you and God. And where, where's the hunger for prayer? And where's, because that's where the power comes from, is, is prayer. You look at the Welsh revivals of, of every Welsh revival, every Scotland revival, the first great awakening. I can trace it to prayer. People were praying and pulling down heaven. Oh, God, that you would rent the heavens. That's yeah. actually my Mother's Day message coming up. They, like Isaiah said, oh, God, would you hear our cries? Rent, rip open the heavens and come down and confront our enemies. And so, yeah, it ha- but that, why is prayer so boring? It's because people are, are not feeding on the things of God. Yeah, that's you know, right. if you eat fast food all day, you want more fast food. If you're eating healthy, and you want more healthy food. So people aren't reading an hour worth of EM bounds on prayer at night, mm-hmm. looking to God's Word, putting on worship, getting up hungry for God. They're feeding on the things of the world. So prayer meetings are boring. They have no passion for the things of God. And so our, our spiritual diet right now is really sick yeah. in our nation. I don't know what it's going to take because everybody's relate, relaying on the next stimulus check, and I guess yeah. we're good for now. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. We need a holy desperation, which yeah. we don't have. And it's interesting because there were many of us when 9-11 happened, and we thought, oh, you know, maybe this will be the event that turns the United States back to the Lord. Maybe finally we're going to wake up as a nation and return to him. And it was, you know, a few days, and then it was back to business as usual, and, and it went off the rails again. And I, I look across the country at all of these things that have just transpired, as you mentioned, some of them in the last year and a half, uh, the pandemic and the riots in the streets and the pandemonium and the corruption and moral, you know, free fall that we're seeing in our nation. And I'm thinking, God keeps giving us these warning signs and we don't seem to be picking them up. When we pray, and I think this is an important point, when we pray, we tend to pray for the wrong things. It's not that it's wrong to pray for your Aunt Violet's gout, but at a time of crisis, isn't it more important for us to cry out to the Lord for mercy, especially on the state of his church, on the spiritual state of the church, which is very, very unhealthy right now? Yeah, that, you, you actually summed it up well, because it's not about personal requests right now. It's about national security. It's about what we're leaving our children, the next generation. And God, would you give us mercy? Yes. Would you give us that grace we don't deserve? We've, we've slaughtered millions of children. And yes. Lord, we need your mercy, and we want your grace, God. And, and then also that changes the way you live. It changes the way you act. 
uh, like Nehemiah. Why should I not be sad when my place, the place of my father's tombs lies in waste? And he interceded. Daniel interceded. Ezekiel, I sought for a man from among them who would stand in that gap and intercede on behalf of the land that I might not destroy it. And so there's so many examples of intercessory prayer. And But I'm also very encouraged, because I know it might not sound like it, but Anytime, anytime God brings an awakening, it's, it's in these types of situations. Right. Uh, right. From even the first great awakening, you read the journal notes and, and alcoholism and debauchery and sin and, and the church and, and atheism and, and, and uh, no religious fervor anymore. And they thought America was just going down the tubes. And then God brings that awakening. Yeah. Same thing in Scotland. Same thing, New Hebrides. Same thing. It's that, that darkness. Is, it almost has to get so dark and you people get so desperate that they realize that God is our only hope. And that's and what he wants. Like it. Right, Absolutely. and that's he wants us to c- turn back to him, not to rely on our programs and our busyness and our activities and our 16 different translations of the Bible on the shelf that we don't read that much. He wants us to want him. Isn't this the bottom line? That, that's it, and he and we're getting desperate. Many people are getting desperate for that, and I want to be in, encouraging people too, because I know there's a lot of listeners. You, we have a lot of a lot, lot of the same type of listeners for the for the truth and wanting more of God. And God is moving. What God, I don't think I didn't come up with this idea of having a heart for revival. God gave it to me for a reason to be that 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 flame, to be that flicker. And millions of people across the United States, God is giving us godly desires to get up early and to pray and seek His face. And, we're never going to have the support of the masses. It, it, you're, you're not going to see, well, okay, now we're okay because we've got a, a Christian in office. Yeah. Now we're okay because, and, and you know, and I was all, I, I, I agree with you on the, the election and the fraud, and but I'm wondering how prideful would we have became if Trump would have won? Mm-hmm. How, how the, the boasting, and is God using this to break us? Maybe you know I I, I don't know I, I I'm hard it's hard to hard to know what his plans are but I hope that answered your question adequately but yes being we've got to be desperate for more of God look at all the yes. cries oh would you rend the heavens oh yes. God come down uh, Joel call assembly gather the people and call a fast well yes. we don't even talk about fasting anymore did you know that fasting was a very important spiritual discipline throughout church history sure of course especially when it comes to revival why because you're saying God I'm not eating today mm. I want you more even though hunger an appetite. It's good. It's God-given. But I want you more. Today, we're so full. We have to eat every three hours. And we you try praying after Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So yeah. I think getting back to prayer and fasting and, and seeking God is, is so important. That's why I'm glad you're doing this, because we're, we're getting that, this out there to, to spark and motivate others. Well, that's what I want to hear and need to hear. And I think that's what the listeners need to hear, because we know the truth. If we belong to Jesus Christ and we long to hear the truth, we want to hear the whole counsel of God. All of it, not just the happy verses, but the ones that preach hard truth. We need that as well. We need all of the word of God in our lives. And I know we've only got about a minute left here, Shane, but what do you say to the pastor who's listening who says, I want to turn things around in my ministry and I'm going to stop worrying about whether or not people will be mad at me, but how can I lead my congregation more faithfully at a time like this? Well, something that's been coming to mind ever since we started speaking is we have to make sure pastors also don't just get up in the pulpit and start beating the pulpit and hurting the sheep. Mm-hmm. That when you, when you George Whitfield couldn't preach about hell unless he wept first. Yeah. And Leonard yeah. Ravenhill used to say you have to weep before you whip. 
And so it has to come from, the pastor needs to spend time in prayer saying, Lord, I need to hear from you. I need to know what your word says in this crucial time. And then from those reservoirs of of depth with God, you could even give a very encouraging message and calling your people to love Christ more. And it doesn't have to be repent, repent, repent uh, every time. It's where is God directing you and your heart in that season? So I would tell the pastor who's very um, methodical and oriented on his inductive, deductive, and media approach to his sermon preparation to check check that for a while and say, Lord, what do you want to say to your people? What do you want to say to my heart? I need to repent of my own sin. Mm. I've been prideful. I've been callous. I've been hard. And God, I need that flame of your spirit again. And you get enough pastors um, filled with God's spirit, then you're going to see, I I believe, those sparks igniting throughout the entire United States. Let's all pray for that, Shane. I couldn't agree with you more. Check out ShaneEidelman.com for more of his great articles. Shane, God bless you. Thanks for being here. You too. Keep it up, guys. All right. You too. God bless you. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today archive broadcast is brought to you by the National Day of Prayer. The National Day of Prayer is Thursday, May 6th. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. You know, sometimes I really do think if you wait around long enough, there is vindication. And sometimes vindication can be hilarious. And I'm going to outline why I'm saying that in the next couple of minutes. I cannot resist this story. I just saw this online a little bit ago and I laughed my head off. And you're going to understand why I say that in just a couple of seconds. You might recall, if you had listened to me previously in previous years, that in 2013, I did a very, well, I would say perhaps notorious interview with Pastor Mark Driscoll. This was back in about November of 2013, if I'm recalling correctly. And I was going to do an interview with him on a book he had written. And what happened was I started to read his book and I noticed that he had plagiarized it because I was familiar with the books he had plagiarized. I had read them. So I immediately recognized that he had plagiarized in his book. And when he came on the air with me, I confronted him. And well, that was the beginning of the end of Mark Driscoll. So that was quite consuming in my life about eight years ago. And thankfully, I've been able to move on from that and put him out of my mind. It consumed me for about a year plus And many other people started jumping on board and exposing other things about Mark Driscoll. And it's a long, long story. Someday, maybe I'll tell the whole thing. But if you didn't know this, this is the background to this. What happened initially when I had exposed this plagiarism was there were a lot of people who doubted me and a lot of people who said I was some kind of Jezebel because he was a man of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really kind of had to hunker down and get through that and trust the Lord that eventually I'm going to be vindicated. And I released a number of copies of pages in which he had plagiarized in other books. So when I started releasing all this evidence that I had discovered, then people said, hey, hmm, maybe she has a point. And it went on and on and on from there. And then there was more plagiarism and more plagiarism, more plagiarism for Mark Driscoll. So that was the beginning of all of it. Now, here's the update to this. This just cracks me up. This is from Religion News Service. Apparently, there is a pastor named Zach Stewart, who has left his church now, who 
plagiarized Mark Driscoll. <laughs> you cannot make this up. You cannot make this up. They featured this testimony from this woman named Colleen Reese. And she went to Franklin Christian Church outside of Nashville, where Zach Stewart was the pastor. And she discovered that he had been plagiarizing other pastors. And she said, it says here in the story, among the sermons Zach Stewart reportedly plagiarized were a number of sermon series from Southland Christian Church in Kentucky and another series of sermons on the Ten Commandments that originated with Mark Driscoll, including a 2013 sermon entitled Do Not Steal, (laughs) that included slightly altered versions of Driscoll's personal anecdotes. Okay, here's what's hilarious, you guys. I cited that sermon to Mark Driscoll during my interview. You can go, it's still on YouTube. You, You can listen to the whole thing if you can stomach it. It's hard for me to listen to it now. But I cited that sermon because I said, Pastor Driscoll, you are the one, Pastor Mark, whatever I called him, you are the one who told your congregation that you should not steal. And if you do steal, you have to make restoration. And are you planning to obey what you told your congregation? And there was a lot of humana, humana, humana from Driscoll. Here's my takeaway, though. I'm looking at this and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, how do you even know that was Driscoll's sermon? Sure, he delivered it. But was he really the author of every word in that sermon? See, here's why I say this, because he wasn't the author of so much of what he put out. He wasn't. He just wasn't. He lifted other people's passages. He took from other people's works and he did it all over the place. There's so many instances where we've proven this and other people like Warren Throckmorton have put this on his blog. There's a whole history here, folks. So I'm saying it's kind of like the old Fabergé Organics commercial, if you remember this from like the 70s or 80s. And it was this woman with her Fabergé Organic shampoo. And she said, oh, I use Fabergé Organic shampoo. And I told two friends and they told two friends and they told two friends and so on and so on. And pretty soon they keep multiplying the pictures of the woman with the shampoo to show that it just kind of goes into this large expansion of people because Fabergé Organic shampoo is just so awesome. It's getting like that with plagiarism. How in the world will you ever get to the bottom of it? And it says in this whole story that plagiarism is considered normal among a lot of these pastors. Something I said eight years ago. I pointed all of this out eight years ago when everybody was calling me a Jezebel, or at least some people were calling me a terrible woman for going after a man of God. And I said, church, we have an integrity problem. We have an ethics problem. And it seems that it never really goes away. It never really goes away. Apparently, Stuart, now pastor, he's a pastor still after all of this. And by the way, so is Driscoll, who founded his own church. I'll get to that in a second. But this pastor, Stuart, now pastor of Twin Oaks Christian Church in Woodhaven, Michigan, preached a pair of sermons on the book of Proverbs, which drew heavily from 2019 sermons by Driscoll on the same topic. Again, I suggest that you go back and use a fine tooth comb on Driscoll's original sermon because... I would have my doubts about whether or not that was originally all his material. I'm not saying it wasn't, but I'm 99% skeptical. In places, reciting Driscoll word for word and mimicking Driscoll's gestures, according to a video that was until recently available on the church's website. And I guess he ended up posting an apology on his blog. He left the church in 2016 without apologizing. That's what Driscoll did. That's what he did. He never, I mean, he put out a little statement when he was cornered. And then he just left the church. He resigned and he didn't submit to any kind of elder accountability in any way. In fact, this is funny because Warren Throckmorton recently posted a blog on Mark Driscoll's elderless church. This is a guy who talked in the past about the need for elders, keeping pastors accountable. And it says that a jury of his elder peers, 
as we know, at Mars Hill Church, found him to be disqualified to be a pastor elder. And instead of being restored by those elders, he left the scene and eventually started a new church, the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. See, because religion is a career move for him. It doesn't have anything to do with a calling to the ministry. It should come as little surprise. Warren says that Mark Driscoll's new church apparently has solved the elder problem, which led to his demise at Mars Hill. Just don't have any. Have any elders at his new church? I'll take care of that accountability problem. During the past couple of weeks, he writes, several former members of the Trinity Church in Scottsdale have contacted me to talk about aspects of Mars Hill Church in Seattle. They contacted me because I was involved in you know telling the story about Driscoll. And they tell stories remarkably similar to those I heard from former Mars Hill members during that span of time. There's one major difference. In the current church, there are no elders who are putting on any breaks. There are no elders to whom appeals can be made. Several former members and staffers have told me that the Trinity Church does not have elders. Some things do sound the same. Listen to this. Non-disclosure agreements are again being used. Those were used in the case of some of the church leadership. Money is again conditioned on silence. People are describing abrupt decisions about membership without due process. Why would you join Mark Driscoll's church, you people? What, what more did you need to know? from that year in which everything was revealed that could possibly be revealed that would convince you this guy has no business in the ministry. I don't feel sorry for these people. Maybe that's mean. I don't feel sorry for these people. You own an internet. Yes, you can Google. You can go on DuckDuckGo and you can put in Mark Driscoll's name. You can go in lots of different corners of the internet and you can get everything on Mark Driscoll. You can write to me through my website. I have it all. Friends and family who are considered disloyal to the church are being shunned. Oh, that's nice. At some point, these stories may be told. For now, according to former members and staff, the pastors who are there, in addition to Driscoll, are not elders in the decision-making sense of the office. If elders hold you accountable in one place, eliminate them in the next place. Here's the bottom line. When we have a problem, as was pointed out in this religion news service piece about not just this one guy, but other pastors saying, well, it's, it's kind of a thing. Like we pick up stuff from other people and just kind of use it and repurpose it. This is a matter of ethics. This is a matter of morality. This is a matter of lacking godliness, lacking holiness, because plagiarism is lying and it is stealing. And last time I checked, we have two commandments that specifically forbid us from doing this of God's holy law of which pastors will be held more accountable even to a higher standard of accountability than you and me sitting in the pews. Where is the fear of God? Where's the integrity? Where's the holiness? Where's the godliness? I don't know. Some people just shrug their shoulders and it's just the way it is. We cannot put up with this. When you have a compromised, corrupt ministry, a compromised, corrupt pulpit, you will have a compromised, corrupt Christianity. And if that's okay with you, I must say unequivocally, it's not okay with me. And it is absolutely not okay with God. There needs to be a movement of God in this country to bring the church to its knees in repentance. We can't stress that enough. We're going to come back. There's more to come. Stay with us on Janet Mefford today.
The National Day of Prayer is Thursday, May 6th. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. It's an incredible opportunity to experience the power of prayer as one nation under God. Be a part of this historic day, along with fellow Christians who are ready to make a difference by lifting up our nation in prayer. Free prayer resources are waiting for you right now. Join an online prayer room or create a private prayer room and invite family, friends, and neighbors to join you for the National Day of Prayer. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. There's absolutely no cost to participate. This is your call to prayer, and now's the time to answer the call. Our country needs your prayers more than ever. So join the largest online prayer gathering in history at the National Day of Prayer. We'll see you online at pray.team. That's pray.team. When this young mom came to a preborn center, she was planning to have an abortion. But after receiving love and support and meeting her baby on ultrasound, she chose life. When I walked in for the ultrasound and I saw my baby and I heard his heartbeat, my mind changed completely. I couldn't do that to my baby. I decided to keep it. Preborn partners with clinics in cities with the highest abortion rates in the country. Will you help preborn save these precious lives? When a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life. And that's just the beginning of the story. I know that with support and with God by my side, I'll be able to do this, not just for me, but for my baby. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a pre-born banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. All right, I don't know if you watched President Biden's speech unveiling this universal preschool plan for children ages three to four, and he's just going to spend, 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 spend. It's going to be a progressive dream world. I don't have time to get into a lot on that, but it's just more of the same, like we've been talking about this week. It's just spend us into oblivion, and government will be your God, and government will take care of you, and we will raise taxes like you can never imagine on working families who they consider to be too rich. They don't want people to prosper. You do understand this. It's not just a matter of saying, well, we're going to go to the wealthiest people and make sure the wealthiest people are punished for being wealthy. Why would you punish somebody for being wealthy? These are the people who are able to provide jobs. Perhaps something needs to be done to get huge billion dollar corporations to pay more in taxes. But as long as you have tax loopholes, that's another matter for Congress to address. At any rate, Biden, 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 all his grand plans. He's going to be just like FDR. He's going to be just like LBJ. Fantastic. No, you know what? We see the truth about Joe Biden every time he shows up in front of the camera, which isn't that often compared to previous presidents, including former President Trump. I want to talk, though, about this mask thing just briefly, because it bothers me beyond belief that we are still going through this COVID theater of wearing these flimsy masks that don't do anything to stop coronavirus. We have all talked about this before. The N95 mask, if you have symptoms, can provide some protection, prevent you from spreading your symptoms to people who are healthy. But there is no reason for people who are healthy to be wearing masks. It's just dumb. It's just dumb. And most of these three-ply masks that we're all wearing, I wear those white and blue ones occasionally. Here in Texas, the mask mandate was lifted, but there's still some dumb businesses that force you to wear these masks if you're going to go in and shop. It's so ridiculous. And this is the party of science. 
hey, what about the holes in those masks that are too big for the coronavirus to be kept out? Because the coronavirus is smaller than the holes in the mask. Have you not watched these YouTube videos by some of these scientists and these epidemiologists who have been saying all of this and doctors who have been saying all of this from the beginning? COVID theater. We'll look back on it fondly. I'm sure we won't. So let's talk a little bit about the mask thing, because President Biden did come out with the new mask orders via new CDC mask guidance. Let's listen first to cut two. And because of the extraordinary progress we've made in fighting this virus and the progress our scientists have made in learning about how it gets transmitted, earlier today, the CDC made an important announcement. Starting today, if you're fully vaccinated and you're outdoors, you need, and not in a big crowd, you no longer need to wear a mask. I want to be absolutely clear. If you're in a crowd like a stadium or at a conference or a concert, you still need to wear a mask, even if you're outside. But beginning today, gathering with a group of friends in a park, going for a picnic, as long as you are vaccinated and outdoors, you can do it without a mask. The CDC is able to make this announcement because our scientists are convinced by the data that the odds of getting or giving the virus to others is very, very low if you've both been fully vaccinated and out in the open air. Who's our scientists exactly? I'm just wondering who falls under that category of our scientists. Are you talking about people affiliated with the progressive side of the aisle? Are you talking about people affiliated with the bureaucracy? I'm not sure. Trust science. Do you understand? Stop thinking. You need to knock that off because you're just not being part of the collective properly. You are a problem. You cannot use independent thought to analyze any of this because you're not a good American. No, they don't care about that. I shouldn't. You're not a good global citizen. It's all about global citizenry, don't you know? Global citizenry. All right, let's go to some of this uh, feedback, though, which I find hilarious because here was President Biden coming up to the podium wearing a mask without anybody close by. Okay, do as I say, not as I do. And I thought it was interesting that NBC's Peter Alexander really pointed it out to him. And this was kind of an interesting exchange. This is cut three. If the risk is so low outdoors, why doesn't this new guidance apply to everybody? Because the science indicates that the most certain way to make sure it doesn't spread if both people have been vaccinated, the people you're with, and you're outside. And you chose to wear a mask, sir, you chose to wear a mask, you chose to wear a mask as you walked out here. What message were you sending by wearing a mask outside alone? By watching me take it off and not put it back on to like it inside. That, that's not an excuse, that's just silly. You, you, I wore it so you could see me take it off. Okay, that makes total sense. It makes as much sense as the CDC mask guidance. A little bit more on this, AP. U.S. health officials say fully vaccinated Americans don't need to wear masks outdoors anymore unless they are in a big crowd of strangers. How about a big crowd of friends? Can you be in a big? Uh, And those who are unvaccinated can go without a face covering outside in some cases, too. You know, I haven't worn a mask outside in a year. And anybody who wears a mask outside 
why are you doing that? You look ridiculous. The people who are driving with masks are a step beneath that in terms of cognitive dissonance. What are you doing? Who are you going to give COVID to if, in fact, you even have it driving in a car with your windows up? It's ridiculous. You just like the feeling. People have gone online and talked about the fact that all of this virtue signaling over vaccination and virtue signaling over double mask wearing is just a religion. And in a way, you can kind of see the argument because those atheists who constantly accuse Christians of blind faith and using blind faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ rising from the dead and we don't have any reason or rational thought to us. Uh, these are some of the same people that are out there totally virtue signaling over all of this stuff. I got the vaccine and I made a TikTok about it and I wear double masks and I stay 20 feet away from everybody and I have a Fauci doll. Look at my Fauci doll. I think I'm going to make more Fauci dolls for my kids for Christmas. I'm working on it. These people are ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. And we need to say it more often. And this idea that as this one guy quoted in the story, an infectious disease expert at the University of Alabama, it's the return of freedom. It's the return of us being able to do normal activities again. The return of freedom? You're not giving people freedom. You've taken away people's freedom. Whatever happened to the idea that when you give an emergency health order, it should expire when there's no longer an emergency? Have you looked at the figures on COVID cases and on COVID deaths and on COVID hospitalizations? Oh, no, we still have to have control over you. It's not safe. It's the ultimate con over the safe space crowd. It really is. I'm not saying that COVID has not been a problem. It has been a problem. We mourn every person who has suffered and or died from COVID-19. I've said that from the very beginning. But you don't have to treat the rest of us like sheeple. I mean, I watched this video over in the UK this morning. I was cracking up over this. It was a bunch of people in a protest over the lockdowns wearing hazmat suits with sheep masks going as they wandered through a building (laughs) protesting the extreme COVID tyranny. And that's what it's been. You know, you, you don't you're not going to be protected from covid by wearing one of those flimsy masks. You're just not. By the way, I was trying to take this my body, my choice thing a little further just to be ridiculous. I don't believe this, but just to be ridiculous, to take the argument further. I wonder what would happen if you asked President Biden or Pisaki, Jen Pisaki, the press secretary, as a reporter, the following question, what kind of answer you would get just to be ridiculous, to see how they would handle it. Ask them, you as progressives believe in my body, my choice when it comes to abortion. Yes. And they'd have to say yes. Why isn't it the right of an individual American to contract a disease? Now, I'm, I'm being ridiculous. I'm not saying that this is a rational thing. I'm, I'm using absurdity to make a point. Is it the right of people who want to get COVID to expose themselves to it? Okay. Absurdity, Right. But what is the difference? My body, my choice. What you're pointing out here is if freedom exists for people to make their own decisions about their own bodies, free of government intervention, which has long been the abortionist's argument and the pro-abortion activist's argument, then how do you get out of a, a really awkward question like, why are you taking away people's right to contract coronavirus? Not that anybody would. I keep qualifying this because I'm trying to be crazy in order to make the point. I don't know what they would say. They'd they'd come up with something. Well, it's because you would harm others. I'm sure that's what it would be. Well, the same argument could be made over abortion, couldn't it? 
Well, when you were actually using the my body, my choice excuse to kill a child in the womb, you're killing somebody. At the very worst, you, as a COVID-19 sufferer, could potentially spread it to somebody, but you wouldn't necessarily, they wouldn't necessarily die from it because there are overwhelming numbers and statistics concerning people who survive COVID-19. It's in the 90s, high 90s for every age demographic. And last I checked, abortion had a really, really high rate of dead babies at the end. These people make no sense. We need to remind them of this daily. Thanks for being with us on Janet Mefford today. Always great to have you here and we'll see you next time.